This podcast is sponsored by Legends of the Buckle Era. Don't forget to get your tickets for the 9th of April. Tickets are £10 and can be found on Eventbrite. Hello and welcome back to another Talking Talky podcast. It's episode 12. Today I'm joined by Ben Curry. Hello. And Matt Parkman. Hello. How are we, gents? I'm all right. Yeah. Um, better for, for yesterday, which I think it's traditional now for me to say, which I'm sure we'll get on to. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm much happier for, for three points from yesterday as it happens. Absolutely the same. A win makes everything better. Yeah, no, exactly. And uh, we'll, we'll jump straight into that. Um, obviously, we beat the Linnets 1-0 yesterday to stop the rot. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a very good game. Um, I think the first half was probably the most enjoyable half of football I've watched since uh, Yeovil at home. You know, I don't, I did, we didn't score, but it was just, it was kind of vintage Torquay this season. There was a lot more intent the players seem to all be singing from the same hymn sheets players look like they kind of really wanted it as if they wanted to kind of get a reaction after Tuesday and maybe that's what they needed was a bit of a battering on Tuesday to go well hang on a minute we're better than this um I think reversing back to a back four was key Ryan Law came back came in in uh, left back to give us a back four um, which in turn gave, gave us, you didn't just get a left back, you also got Jake Andrews back in his kind of proper left midfield position. Um, and I thought he was outstanding. He was my, certainly my man of the match. Um, seemed to be back at his best. I think playing a flat midfield four worked quite well, obviously with Randell on the right and Evans seems to be playing a slightly deeper role than normal. Um Maybe that's to kind of cater for the bad form that Armani's been on, give him a bit more freedom just behind Bowden, which seems to work. It's the best I've seen him again, probably since Boxing Day. Um, going back to Ryan Law, made his debut. A lot of people were quite confused that he didn't start on Tuesday, but as I said in the last podcast, I think he didn't have enough time to train with the team. Not a very nice environment to make your debut away at, on a grim pitch on a Tuesday night. You know, he's had time to settle in. Don't think he was brilliant, but I think he settled into the game the longer it went in. Sorry, went on. He, whilst he wasn't very comfortable on the ball and he played a few passes, which I think made us all go, what are you doing? He looked okay defensively, which surprised me as he was kind of more almost advertised as a wing back when he came in. Um, but I think just giving us that balance in defence allowed the rest of the team to kind of play a little bit more like they were pre the slump, if you like. Um, and and I say the other thing that I think went against Ryan Law is something that Dave Thomas uh, alluded to on the commentary is he's playing next to Joe Lewis, who is, you know, by no means a natural left-sided centre-back. He, he, he obviously is right-footed and he's evidently pref- would prefer to be playing on the right side. And I still think he's establishing that partnership with sharing at the moment. I don't think that's perfect. Um, 
but no, I thought they played they played well as a whole. The goal was, I think we needed something like that to go our way. You know, um, Evans had a great touch to make the space and fairly tame shot, which was completely spilled by the keeper and Bowden tapped in. You know, to to a lot of people it's a tap in, but to proper football fans, sorry, that it, it's that striker's instinct that not many would have, and I I, I wonder if certain other players wouldn't have had. Um, and yeah, I I think once we'd scored, I couldn't really see us conceding. Kingsley seemed to have kind of looked like they'd given up the ghost by then, but nonetheless, important to get three points and time to properly build on that now yeah um i was a bit concerned at the start because kings lynn hit the bar in the very first minute from a free kick and you're sort of thinking oh god here we go again more of the same but really that was pretty much the only bit of uh play they had in our in our half um for the entirety of the first half really and after that we settled played some decent stuff better than it had been recently um, but it, it was getting frustrating because we would, as usual, our approach play was really good. Uh, Jake Andrews fired a couple of lovely crosses into the box and just didn't get the finishing touch. And I think that's where we've been for a lot of the time in this slump. That 80% of our play is really good. We just haven't had that finishing touch to, to put um, the icing on the cake. And as Sam said, um, we needed a bit of luck first minute of the second half to get the goal. And uh, I agree, I thought we looked quite comfortable and I didn't really get the impression that Kingsley were going to uh, push on and put us under any sort of pressure, really. And, um, you know, you, you just got to be pleased with three points. It, it wasn't the, the best we, the, we, we played, not the best we're going to play. But after Tuesday night's debacle, it was important to get back to basics and get a win on the board uh, just to stop the rot and get a bit of confidence going. And that's exactly what we did. No, 100%. Um, throwing out a bit of a uh, question, do you think if, and this is nothing against Scott Bowden, but if Danny Wright was playing up front, do you think Jake Andrews would have broken the, the uh, record for the amount of assists that someone's ever got in a game of football? You know, I think would have got Andrews that record, and I was kind of set up to to mention this anyway. From the few bits I've seen of him on video, I think Rob Street would have done it. All of Rob Street's goals are headers from from wide crosses. And yeah, you know, all right, Danny Wright inevitably is going to be better than some kid who's never played sort of proper professional football. So in answer to your question, yeah, probably. Um, there were a, a couple that didn't even come from crosses. The Sam Shering one after, what, 10 minutes where it was kind of bobbling around at what, initially from the kick was a far post and then became the near post um, and sharing missed the target from about three yards level with the post it, with the header. I couldn't believe it. Right. would have tucked that in. You could have, you could have picked a, a ball size space anywhere in the goal and right. You would have been able to hit it. But yesterday with all the balls going in, we either needed somebody to make that like far post run to just slide in and tap the ball in or somebody to make the near poster with a, with a header and right, you just you will take your pick. But I think Rob Street, if you'd have had Street and Wright on the pitch together and everything else had been the same, Street could have gone to the near post, righty to the far. And I, yeah, we probably would have got four or five yesterday. It was only because we had uh, the, the front players on that we had by through necessity. 
that we didn't get sort of a hatful Bowden is he's not small, but he's not like a Tim Sills-esque, you know, get up and, and head everything. He's a bit, I don't want to say smarter because Tim was one of the smartest footballers I've ever met, but you know what I mean? He's sort of, he, it's not, he, he's not quite so, anything I say sounds disrespectful to Tim. More, more strings to his bow he's got. Than no, I know what you mean. Um, I think Bowden is, I think he he said it in his interview, actually, his, he is a classic fox-in-the-box striker, you know, and that's the goal he scored. He scored a fox-in-the-box type goal. Um, luckily, he was offside in the first half when he spooned oh. one horribly wide after brilliant work from Asa Hall, who I thought was outstanding today. I've seen a little bit of unfair criticism of him recently, which uh, I, I hate to kind of have a go at some fans, but he's quite a lazy in my opinion, a lazy angle to take on things, to kind of blame the most experienced player. But, you know, everyone's entitled to an opinion, of course. Um, but no, I think I think you're right about streets um, and that maybe I wonder if it's, it's, analy- it's quite a lot of analysing. But one of the things is with Whitfield out, we have to change the way we play, you know, because usually it's kind of, that inverted winger or inside forward type role where you've got a right footer on, on the left and someone on the right to kind of counterbalance that. You take Whitfield out and you've kind of got to change the way you play because we don't, we now don't really have any kind of pacey attacking wingers. You've, you've got Adam Randell, who I think can play, a, can play well on the right-hand side. Um, almost reminds me a little bit of, potentially Lee Mansell when he first came to the club, you know, was a central midfielder, but did a job on the right-hand side if need be. Um, oh, look, Sam Drew is mentioning Lee Mansell again. Um, other players did play for Torquay. But I think you put Jake Andrews on the left and he's a completely different style of wide midfielder. He, I, I said yesterday to someone, he's part of the Wayne Carlisle club or... Um, kind of the Dan Sparks club. He's not going to go on these kind of amazing runs and beat four players and dink something in or have a shot from there. He'll get it and he'll play a pinpoint cross into the box that's just kind of screaming to be attacked. And I think going to a flat midfield four rather than that, because I think with a fully fit squad at the start of the season, we were playing that 4-2-3-1. Whereas now, yesterday, it seemed more of a 4-4-1. 1-1 one, one with, a, like I said, a flat midfield four and then Armani playing just off uh, just off Bowden. And I think it was it was good to see that because it was nice to see uh, Armani have a little bit more freedom, which he hasn't seemed to have had recently because Evans has done such a good job. But it was good to see Evans kind of drop back a bit and see that side of his game because those two are... It days to remind me of the kind of Lampard Gerrard debate we had with England for ten years or whatever because they are so similar those two you couldn't play those next to each other that's why it's so important to have an Adam Randall or an Asa Hall in there because though you know Armani and Connor are they are the same player they you know they play that kind of same attacking free flowing role. Um, but yeah, so I think giving swapping that around was obviously a little bit of a curveball to Kings Lynn. I don't think they would have seen that coming because Evans has played so advanced this year. Um, 
and it was nice to see it was nice to see us line up differently and have a, a good plan B rather than that back three, which usually seems to be the backup to anything at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the personnel kind of dictated a little bit of that, I suppose, with naturally having sort of four fit defenders. So, well, you're playing a back four, which gives you limited options ahead of that if you want to be defensively solid and, and a sort of attacking, have some attacking fluency. So, it little bit dictated by who we had available. I do wonder whether the some of the players recently, I think, have looked a bit tired, played a lot of football. There hasn't been much time for recovery because we've been playing quite a lot Saturday, Tuesday. Um, we've discussed previously the merits and the wisdom of the FA Trophy run. I think we could perhaps have been a little bit fresher now had we gone out in the first round, but that's not something that we need to go over again. Um, the the change for to swap Little and the Lemon over, I wonder whether that also was something to do with the Lemon being a little bit tired. We've all seen that he hasn't really been on his game the last few weeks. I think most of them, judging from what I heard on uh, the Herald Express podcast, which, despite being a rival to this, is an excellent publication and you should all listen to it. Um, it seems like they haven't been doing a huge amount of training. They've had a lot of time off in when Johnson's been able to facilitate that over the last few weeks. So I do wonder whether the lemon is just a bit knackered. So he's been moved a little bit deeper against the side who probably weren't going to carry a huge amount of attacking threat to give him a Saturday with slightly less emphasis on running around, trying to create space, trying to pull defenders across to give Bowden some room, and a little bit more on just being in the right place at the right time to do some defensive work, get the ball and get it forward to maybe to Little or Bowden or or somebody else. I don't know. and That might be complete nonsense. I've, I've absolutely no idea. But it sort of felt a little bit like that to me yesterday as though he was being given a Saturday doing a less demanding job. I think tiredness is certainly an issue, but I'd also put confidence in there, which uh, comes with uh, a poor run. Um, The last few games, um, watching the game and screaming at the players to take responsibility in the final third, just pull the trigger or don't take one touch too many and then losing the ball in in a really threatening position, which is what we've been doing time and time again. Just take responsibility, get a shot away. And in the end, Evans did that and the keeper showed that he couldn't handle it. It was a routine save and he spanned it and that's where we got our goal. And they're all technically gifted players and it always looks nice in the eye when you try and play one-twos and little flicks here and there around the box. But if it doesn't come off, it's just frustrating to watch. And sometimes you just need someone to take responsibility, put their hand up and get a shot away. And I'd like to see uh, Lemon Havens do more of that because that that touch to uh, get rid of the defender, get the ball out of his feet, get a shot on goal, it was beautiful. And that's what worked the game in the end. That, that was the difference. Yeah, 100%. Yep, um, agree agree entirely. He had one in the second half um, where he, he was one-on-one, not in the traditional sort of ball-through sense, but we'd caught them a bit light at the back. And all it needed was a little left-footed stutter step 
because the uh, the teammate, probably Bowden, was across to his left. Little left-footed stutter step would have taken him another yard inside and would have committed the defender to going towards Bowden. Put your right foot on him and just blitz it towards goal with your left foot. It would have looked a little bit like the Jake Andrews goal against Barnett, the second one that we got that day. And if he'd have found the bottom corner, the, the clown shoes that uh, Kingsley had in goal would, wouldn't have got anywhere near it. And it would have been all over, but he didn't. He sort of delayed, he hesitated, didn't look overly confident and then gave it out wide left anyway. And the chance sort of fizzled out, which is a little bit sad. Um, Actually, it might have been Omera because it might have been the one where he was stumbling over in the box. I've never seen a man of that size outrun a fall with so much panache as uh, as Omera did yesterday. I thought he was good when he came on, Omera. I, I, I want to like him. I think I do like him, um, and I think performances like yesterday were a little bit the reason why. I think yesterday he knew exactly what his job was, though. Yeah. And that's the thing. He wasn't brought on. I think Umer has been in a position a few times this season, which when we've been chasing a game or we've been looking for that goal, and he's been brought on, and he's clearly not the player to come on and win you a game of football. That's evident. And I think it's unfair to kind of judge him on that. Whereas yesterday he came on, caused a nuisance, hold the ball up. If you can get at the end of something, great. We've won the game. We just want to see it out. And he did it perfectly. And you need players to come and do that sometimes who aren't going to win any plaudits for it. It's not going to be a pleasing on the eye, but they will do their job exactly as you need them to. And that's what he did. I, I said this last week to Marcus and Chris. I said his job this season was not to come on and score 20 goals and be the, the, the next um, Jamie Vardy, if you like. Yeah. Uh, in an ideal world, Danny Wright and Andrew Nelson would not be injured. They'd have played the full season and you've got Josh uh, Umira learning the ropes and coming off the bench in the last 20 minutes of games to try and uh, extend the leads that we've, our hard work's already produced. So with those two injured, he's found himself being thrust into a starting position um, a little bit green and I like Josh I think he works really really hard for the team he gets little or no protection from officials uh, majority of the time I think he's honest he gives it his all and he's just needed a bit of luck which has deserted him at vital times um, but I would stick with him I think uh, you know he's learning he's young I think he's got all the tools to be a good striker he just needs a bit of time which at the moment in this situation we can't afford to give him. In the same way, we are going to give that to Bowden, I think, because he's shown that little bit of nous, which right he's got, which our younger strikers have not got yet. I thought yesterday Bowden brought the rest of the team into the game well. Obviously, as Sam said, he he sniffed out the chance in the box and put it away. Um, it took Danny Wright several games to get up to speed and uh, get synchronised with the rest of the team. Uh, and then he, we, stopped, we saw the fruits of that um, I think we'll do the same with Bowden. So yeah. it's just about it's just about being patient with players. Sometimes you know you see it all the time. Just just fans flying off the handle at the slightest uh, mistake or indiscretion, and you sometimes you've just got to realise that it's a squad game and everyone's going to play their part. But it, it all needs to come together. It's not simply just blaming individuals. It's it's supporting individuals to make the team better. No, definitely. And I completely agree, Reed Bowden. I mean, the thing is, a lot of people will look at it and say, oh, penalty and a tap in. But Scott Bowden, as a striker, will look at that as going, oh, look, I've got two and two now. I'm off, you know. Mm. 
and it's it's like it's like Danny Wright. His first couple were a tap in. I think it, one of his was a penalty. Well, yeah, his first one was a penalty at Bromley. Um, tap in. You get you know it doesn't matter how they go in. People remember the numbers and they'll go. Well, hang on a minute. He looks all right. So he's been around long enough. He's what in his early thirties now. He's experienced. He, he's off the mark now and. Hopefully he uh, he can build on that. The, the one thing I was thinking with him, I wonder if this sort of system will suit him a bit better, playing a little bit more of a kind of, I don't know what the word is, maybe a standard formation of football, um, you know, with wide players crossing it in, not everything going through the middle. Say you put in a Rob Street or a Josh Umera for little say I'm not saying you should don't change a winning team but if you did if you've got someone to kind of do the dirty work and then Bowden to score the goals I wonder if that's how you'll get the best out of Scott Bowden but time will tell we'll find out at some stage I'm sure because I don't think he's going anywhere <clears throat> I think um, judging from some of the language he's used his Chesterfield uh, days are over and he knows that this is not a uh, a loan deal, you know, get yourself some football because there's not quite a place here for you yet. I mean, he's he's never going to see the inside of Chesterfield's stadium, or the, the home dressing room anyway, at, at Chesterfield ever again. So he's going to be either, uh, well, I mean, he will be, he'll be a free agent on whatever the date is, the 1st of June. Why on earth would we not try and sign him? I'm, I'm getting a little bit sick of uh, looking down other teams' squad lists, uh, sort of like for our upcoming games, and thinking, oh, Jesus, they haven't got that guy, that striker that's been around for years and has banged in goals at our level for you. I mean, bloody old Kingsley yesterday bought on Premier League Simeon Jackson and Michael Gash. Um, if I've heard of them, they've got to be sort of famous or good or something. Like, I, think oh, my, I, think, I think Michael Gash is only famous because his surname is Gash. Well, potentially, yeah. I mean, he stands out a little bit, doesn't he? But it was like, it was a bit like when we got um, uh, Sean Harrod. I was so happy, not necessarily because we had him, but it meant that the team, some team that we were playing didn't have him. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I I was the same when we actually signed Carl Hawley. I mean, came to kind of eat my words, but it was that kind of, well, if he was playing for someone else, he'll score against us. At least he's on our bench, not theirs. Well, he he stuck it in the top corner at Morecambe in our first away game of that season. (laughs) I thought, here we go, (laughs) we're going to win the league. And then um, that was about as good as it got. Yeah, I watched him doing the um, uh, the shooting drills they do right in front of where I stand at Playmore. And he was, you know, usually it was, I can't remember who was in a team with him, but like saw him blasting it over the family stand and somebody else, you know, trying to trying to pick out the top corner and killing some old lady carrying her tea back to her seat. And then Hawley steps up, 25, little little move of the shoulders to go round, whoever, Chris Todd, whoever it was, doling the balls out. Blitzes one into the top corner, little puts the keeper down, little dink, bottom corner. You're thinking, bloody hell, you know, like you, but I'm thinking, we're going to win the title here. We'll have this sewn up by Christmas. I won't have to bother with the second half of the season. And then, no, no, that, that was not, quite how it worked out with it still never bleed in mind dreadful dreadful player um anyway so 
yeah, finally stopped the rot. We're in third. We've got, uh, I think we're five points behind Sutton. They've got a couple of games in hand, but I think they did have a bit of a taste of their own medicine yesterday and conceding a stupid o'clock against uh, Stockport, which was kind of the perfect result for us, really. Um, I don't think we wanted Stockport to win because we're all wary of Stockport. So that was good. But it was also good that Sutton lost the points in that manner, I think cracks might be starting to show I think they're a couple of injuries are starting to hit them they've got a tough run of away games on uh, what everyone else knows as grass football pitches um, so yeah I think everyone who uh, was writing us off saying oh I don't think the playoffs are a possibility um, maybe watch this space and keep the faith because it looks like uh, we've got a reasonable run of fixtures coming up with home Solihull on uh, Tuesday, which we'll move on to at some point in the podcast. Um, but yeah, so next, uh, obviously part of a kind of mini series we're doing, talking about our favourite players over the years. Um, so I'm going to pass over to Ben and he's going to tell us about his favourite player. Yeah, uh, my favourite ever player to put on a talkie shirt is Jason Fowler, who uh, played with us. Uh, with distinction from 2003 through to 2005. And we were extremely lucky to see Jason Fowler in a talking eye shirt because he had the ability of a Premier League player and his uh, career at Cardiff uh, in the Championship for a number of seasons uh, when he was scoring great goals. There's a, there's a great um, video on YouTube of his best bits Cardiff and I would implore any talkie fan to go and look at it because it's just filled with glorious goals um but his career was 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 hampered by uh injuries and illness and it was Roy McFarland who persuaded him to come down here and they were never uh supported us through the Roy McFarland season they'd know that he wasn't one for open attractive free-flowing football uh, despite having the players at his disposal to do that, he just wasn't capable of putting a side out, which was worth watching. Uh, it was only really when Leroy, the senior, took over in 2003 where we started to see um, what these players were capable of. And that team was built around uh, Jason Fowler, Alex Russell and David Graham, who would just run rings around the opposition. They just, just pass it straight through them. Um, you know, we, we talk about these days... Armani Little and Lemon Hay Evans being great technically gifted players, and they are, obviously, but these guys were on another level, and it was just a joy to watch at times. And he didn't play every game because his injuries still stopped him from doing that, even um, even with us. But when you turned up and saw him on the team sheet, you, you got an extra boost because it wasn't always expected um, because he was always running the risk of, of, of dropping out at the last minute. But... When he played, it, it was almost like having a luxury player because he wasn't a box-to-box player. He wasn't going to run around like Lee Mansell and cover every blade of grass. But you give him the ball and you just see a bit of magic. You know, just a pass that you wouldn't see in a million years he'd pull off. To, either foot wouldn't matter. Outside of a foot, in-step, instant control. Um, and when you've got players like Alex Russell and David Graham and Joker Four playing around him, uh, and they got on the same wavelength. It was increasingly difficult for opposition players to opposition teams to to, to stop them. And that season we got promoted, 
um, our home form was ridiculous. I think we must have won 80% of our home games that season. And that's the one thing I always remember is the way we won matches. We weren't just winning them with a scrappy goal. We were just playing teams off the pitch. And most teams knew they were beaten before they even made the trip down to Devon because teams feared us, properly, properly feared us. And um, it, it was just such a shame that he didn't go on to fulfil his potential in football. But at the same time, it was uh, a privilege to be able to watch him play for Talk United. And it's sort of that just playing football with your mates down the park. It's just just pure football. It's just playing for the enjoyment of playing football. And that's what going to games in the Leroy era, those two seasons, was all about. It was just enjoying watching football. It wasn't a, it wasn't a chore. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't hard. It was just turn up, watch a great game of football and go home again. And I'll always remember Jason Fowler just just every so often just pulling out a bit of bit of magic which no one else in the field was capable of. And we had good players in the team. I mean, everyone always mentions Alex Russell, who was an amazing player, but he was only that good because Jason Fowler helped make him that good, in my opinion. I think Jason Fowler was on a whole other level. And, yeah, um, just got so many great memories of him playing in front of the pop side, just dancing around defenders and playing off the, these unbelievable crossfield passes straight into the instep of the striker. It was, it was great. Yeah, he, he's one of those players. I, I started going when we were in League One, so I don't think he really made a made an appearance that year, or, or only a handful, because I think the injuries had kind of caught up with him at that stage. Cause, um, he retired thought, halfway through our League One season, which was a massive, massive shame, because if we just managed to get him on the field with Alex Russell just for a couple more games, we'd have got the, the one or two points we needed to get over the line. Mm, yeah, no, because it's he's one of those players I, I hear so much about. And I'm kind of gutted I never got to saw him as, as in a Torquay shirt. But I think it was in 2016. There was a charity game up at Coach Road, which was kind of Torquay and Argyle legends. I always use the term legends lightly because Guy Branston played a half of both sides. Um, but Jason Fowler and Alex Russell played together in field four at least kind of a half of the game and um even then you, i kind of thought oh, he must have been good in his prime because you know players weren't getting close it just it, it didn't even have to kind of break sweat you just kind of get the ball and and would play a little inch perfect pass to someone who he clearly hasn't played football with in about 10 10 12 years um and and he looked very good then and yeah he, he sounds like one of those players that probably a little bit like kind of people from my generation a little bit like you know kane maybe um someone who you know you you know kane is always the one who got nearest to him in terms of the excitement you felt when he got on the ball the, the ability just to shuffle past a couple of players and create space just by not doing a lot but just just having all in the brain to to create that space um very best players are the players who make the difficult things look simple. It's just the instant control. And how many times do you watch a stream this season and we fire quick passes into players and the ball bounces off miles because they haven't controlled it properly? With guys like 
Russell and Fowler and O'Kane, the control was instant. It was the ball was put exactly where they needed it to be for their next move. And you know that's that's how I gauge how good a player is. Is um, the ability to use two feet, which I think all players should be able to use two feet. But nowadays, you see so many players just what even in Premier League, you see players are just one-footed, which is a massive disadvantage. You should always be practicing on your weaker foot just to give yourself that extra option if you need it. And that's what he was all about. And he is the yardstick I I I, I compare players to, really. And um yeah, I mean it doesn't surprise me that that that, that you know you you could see even in that charity game that at one point he was a player and a half. Yeah, my my first season actually was the same as Sam was League One, um, and so I again I didn't really see a huge amount of, of him, but it's it was it, he's one of those players that you hear about from people who were there, and he's not a divisive. He's not a, oh, he wasn't really my cup of tea. Oh, he wasn't all that good. People go on about him, but. Absolutely everybody from Dave Thomas to Ben to Paulie Bastard to anybody, they will all tell you, yeah, this guy was, he wasn't just good. He was miles too good for us, even in League One. And they all remember him essentially exactly the same as you do. Uh, and I think if there was a, there was a universal poll of favourite player of all time, I think he'd certainly be, you know, guys like Stubbsy would be up near the top. And it depends, I suppose, on the age of the people that you ask. I can't vote for him because I didn't see him. I can vote for O'Kane because I watched all of O'Kane's talky career. So, you know, it's, it's sort of difficult. But, yeah, I, I have a feeling that if you could somehow give all talky fans an idea of... Or, of the the way that all these players played, it was some kind of black mirror, Charlie Brooker inspired machine to be able to imbue memories from one supporter to another. I, I get the impression that he probably was good enough that he would genuinely be in with a chance of being everybody's favourite player, overall the favourite player of all time ever to kick a ball for Torquay, perhaps. It's funny you should say that because a lot of fans thought that he was um, not not lazy but ineffective because he was injured a hell of a lot of the time. And even at Torquay, he was playing still with a really horrible leg condition, um, which scuppered what he could do at various times. But he could still, despite that, still put on a put on a show. But a, a lot of people are always talk about Alex Russell ahead of him. And I don't want to do Alex Russell down at all because he was a, a brilliant, brilliant player for us and probably the, the perfect midfielder if you're going to talk about what a midfielder should do for your team. Alex Russell did have it all, but whenever Fowler played, he dragged Russell up to a standard even even higher than that. And that's, that's why he was so good. But a lot of people uh, just seem to always pick out Russell ahead of him because he was more all-action, goal-scoring, box-to-box midfielder. Whereas it's always the quieter players who are quietly orchestrating things. I always thought Man United under Fergie, I always thought Michael Carrick went under the radar because he would keep the play flowing by playing the sensible ball at all times. Not always the best ball, but 
sorry, not always the ball you'd think, but always the percentage sensible ball which kept the, the play moving. And that's what Alex Russell, that's what Jason Fowler always used to do for us. He always used to play the best ball in that situation, which is arguably tying into what we said earlier that our players at the moment are not doing enough of. No, I know, I know what you mean. Um, there have been loads of players like that over the years. It's you could almost say. I mean, I, I think he does get the the plaudits he deserves, but it's it's similar to the way that Adam Randell plays this season. He he doesn't he doesn't do anything that he he knows is kind of beyond him. He does the basics, but he does it so well that it kind of you know he's not playing these Armani little you know incredible. 80 yard or 70 yard passes he's not whipping in free kicks he's not shooting from distance he's just getting it playing a good ball out wide playing a good ball through the middle and kind of going about the rest of his business and yeah it's surprising that not more footballers in the game do that it belies a football intelligence that for me is guys who know what what is the one ball I could play here that I wouldn't want played against me? And it, it, it's not a conscious thought. It's just knowing the picture that's around you, knowing where all your opponents are, knowing where your teammates are going, having an idea of what's in what's physically in front of you, and then just kind of knowing, right, what can I do here that's going to hamper the opposition most? What's going to do I need to come do I need to play short because some reason because there's a guy in space just here and he can do something better with it do I need to get them facing their own goal does it need to go through the middle does it need to go wide and if you've got the ability to just know that and know enough about football to know which of the four or five options that you'll have with the ball at your feet is the one that's going to be the biggest pain in the ass for the opposition that will get you nine tenths of the way. There's not a professional footballer in the country, I don't think, that can't make physically, cannot kick the ball where any of these players could kick the ball. It's A, knowing how to, to hit the ball so that it ends up where you want it, and B, knowing which of the options, which of the kicks to, to do. If you want to bring it down to the most basic imaginable language you just got to make that you've got to kick the ball right and that's that I suppose is something that the very best most effective players guys like Russell and Fowler will will do and the same with Randell the first goal first goal against Hartlepool away when we won 5-0 where Randall won the ball back turned in midfield and you could have got a parade of coach and horses between the two Hartlepool centre-backs and Wrighty making the run up the middle. Well, what's the most effective ball I can play here? Yeah, it's the pass through the middle, but I've got to weight it right. I've got to position it right so that it fades into Wrighty's run, keeps away from the defenders. All these little things that go through your mind, the very best players do that without even thinking. They don't get excited. They don't make the very often, they don't make the wrong pass. They just find the right ball at the right time in the right way, and it's effective. And I very uh, keating, very keating away at Woking. Away at Woking through to Reedy. That was the other one that popped into my mind. You know, there were. It was a bit like, not from an ability 
way, but I'm a big fan of George Best for all sorts of reasons. And for no reason, I, I saw some footage the other day um, and he's, it was from uh, the Fulham year when he was there with Rodney Marsh in the, the late seventies and they were taking the piss effectively every week. And he, for no reason, absolutely no reason at all, he's not left hand edge of the penalty area. And he, he beats th- the same guy three or four times just because the guy is there. <laughs> and instead of, He's got, as you'd imagine at that stage, you've got three or four different options. I mean, he could have had a pop, I'm sure. But instead, he just whips his left foot across the ball and skids a loopy sort of nothingy 20-yard ball out to the left winger. But the way he hits the pass, it looks like it's going to hit the corner flag and the spin on the ball on the grass just sort of curves it like watching I don't know a Stephen Hendry sort of screw back in in snooker, just goes all the way around and lands at the at the winger's feet. Winger didn't even have to move, and then obviously he knocks the ball in and and the play continues. But it's just that knowing that ability to know right if I hit the ball exactly like this, it's going to arrive with my teammate in a way he can control it and in a way he can use the ball next. And I I got a lot of time for players like that. I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, well, thank you for uh, sharing that one with us, Ben. Um, we're going to move on to Tuesday night against Solihull. Um, so over to you, Matt. Yeah, so we've got Solihull on Tuesday, um, about a fortnight after we last played them. So uh, I'm hopeful or at least ordinarily I would be hopeful that we'd know quite a lot about them, but rather a lot has happened at Solihull over the last couple of weeks, up to and including getting hammered 5-0 by Stockport, which wasn't a great result for us, and uh, sacking Jimmy Chan, the baldest man in football, and rehiring um, Mark Yates, who has come back for a second stint. So I I had a quick look on... um, on their result. I knew they were doing badly, Solihull, over the last few weeks, um, but I didn't realise how badly. Last 12 games, they've got one win, four draws and seven defeats. And on the 23rd of January, they were seventh. They had 25 points and a plus seven goal difference from 14 games. So they were picking up half a goal a game and like a point and three quarters a match. Two months later, 21-03, they're 17th. They dropped 10 places. They've got 32 points. They've picked up seven points in 12 games and their goal difference is now minus four. So they're minus 11 goal difference from where they were two months ago. So they have fallen off a cliff. I don't know why. Um, There doesn't seem to be anything necessarily that's happened. They had a bit of a a funny record. They had one draw um, between the start of the season and the 26th of January, I think, something like that. Uh, so they either won games or lost them. And they had a few decent results in there. They beat Wrexham. They beat one or two other sort of reasonably good sides. And they took points of Hartlepool as well. Um, they, they beat Hartlepool. So they weren't doing too badly. And then, yeah, come January, a little bit like us, they, they just fell off a cliff. And I think a few teams have done this. I don't know whether it's a particular feature of this season. But we had Wealdstone did the same thing. They were second, I think, when we played them. They're about 19th now. 
Solihull did the did the same as I've said. They've gone from seventh to seventeenth. Sutton obviously have had that ridiculous run where they've their last ten games they've won eight and drawn two, something like that. Uh, us, you know, top of the table by miles, couldn't buy a point from New Year's Day onwards. So it's been a been a funny season for them. Uh, the last game we had against them, uh, as I say, was a couple of weeks ago. Matty Hayward did the preview for us, and he mentioned uh, that matey six foot nine. Uh, he seems still to get in the team, but I mean, when we played him, he didn't do anything, did he? I grant you, it was difficult because it was played in a hurricane, hurricane force winds. Um, so I did rewatch the highlights this morning because I'd completely forgotten the game. <laughs> I had no idea what what had happened. I knew we won it, uh, but I couldn't remember what had happened. And that was the week when um, we got the penalty for handball, ridiculous handball from their guy. Whitfield gets it wide left, gets to the byline, crosses it in, and their guy just sort of throws a shoulder arm side at it and obviously the referee saw it mate gave the peno uh tucked in with a plum by asa hall uh the second half the wind continues to to blow solihull had basically all of the possession and we broke on them um we got the ball quite a nice passing move actually we, we played some quite nice football that day uh got it in the midfield Ball through, really clever ball through. Exactly the same thing that we were just saying about um, about Benny's favourite player. Great ball through to Waters. You've got it cut inside and rolled the ball in the back of the net. Then all hell broke loose. McDonald came out and Schumacher'd one of their guys. Um, got sent off, hurt himself. We bought Hamon. Was that him? Hamon. We bought him on. Very strange. Uh, we've had a reserve goalie on the bench, a proper reserve goalie on the bench for like three years now. And we haven't used him once. And yet the one time that we have, we've got a month with having Hamon on the bench. We had to bring him on. Uh, he promptly conceded goal immediately from a set piece. Uh, and it, it was all a bit of a mad scramble at the end. The video and the analysis and that, I mean, obviously Johnson knows more about it than I do. But to me, it looks like it's going to be basically useless. They are a completely different side now. Different manager and totally different conditions. So... What, what will happen on Tuesday night is anyone's guess, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm hopeful that we'll have pretty much the same 11 that played on Saturday and did so well. Uh, if we had a couple back, if we had Whitfield back, I've no inside info at all. But from the things that I've seen Whitfield say online, he seems almost to be just a matter of time. I want to get back on the pitch. I, th- I was under the impression he was in a race to be fit for yesterday let alone Tuesday. So who knows? Um, similar style of play, do it again, win the game. Hope something drop points. Happy days. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good opportunity, especially as we're at home, you know, back to back home games. Um, I thought it was quite a smart move by them getting Mark Yates in because obviously he's currently the permanent manager of Stourbridge up the road from them or down the road from them. Um, obviously their season's been cancelled um and he knows the club so for, for him it's a good opportunity to kind of keep keep doing some work and and they've got someone who is a is a seasoned professional manager and will no doubt be kind of steady the ship ready for someone to come in in the uh off season um it, one, one thing that's kind of stood out for me from their team last time was obviously they've got john rooney up front who is on about two and a half, three grand a week. 
And not only did he kind of not provide anything, he he didn't look bothered. You know, he didn't would look like Would you be on three grand a week whether you score or not? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You get players at the, at this level who will come and earn, you know, eye-watering amounts. And, you know, where's the incentive? So, yeah, strange odd side. You know, they, they've poured a lot of money in. Um, they, they've always seemed to kind of have a couple of stellar signings every summer. Um, you know, obviously a couple of years ago, they brought in Wright and Blissett to kind of go for that, you know, we're bigger than you attack um was it danny right our danny right yeah we we brought him over from from Solihull. oh did we that oh, shows was, how much attention i paid no idea well he was there for a couple of years and he it was funny because when he scored the hat trick against uh hartlepool i think jeff brazier asked him in the post-match interview for bt he said oh what's the difference um you know he seems to be getting a bit more game time here and he said well that's the thing i'm actually getting played so i'm gonna score um so i you know I'm not sure how much of an impact he really made there. Um, regarding injuries, I think I, I haven't heard anything on Whitfield. The last I heard was last Tuesday and it was hopefully nothing serious. So I think at the time there was no real time scale on it, but kind of not sure. I did see on social media that Kyle Cameron made a kind of compilation edit video or whatever of his week up at St George's Park he seems to be training uh you know on the grass and in the gym moving quite well so hopefully we're not too far of seeing him back I think you take for me if you take probably Joe Lewis out and put him in the defense looks better at the moment no disrespect to Joe Lewis I think Cameron and Shering have played well together um and also moxie i'm not sure how far off he is you know we we were told that he wouldn't be too far off and but they've obviously brought in this left back to cover so yeah i think if we can get 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 a player back but even if not i think this, the the lineup we started with on saturday would have enough to beat solihull provided they're not tired i suppose yeah um sounds like a bit of a daft excuse for a professional athlete but yeah provided they're not knackered i suppose and they can keep doing so much of what was good yesterday relied on effort, high press, giving Kingsland no time. Do the same with with Solihull, and I think we'll be okay. So yeah, no, like that. What do you reckon, Ben? Yeah, I think it's uh, a good game for us. To be honest, I, I don't think um, there was a much between the two teams when we played a few weeks ago. But I think we're probably in a slightly better place now. I think a couple of players have had a few more games under their belt. And we're, we're starting to play players in their actual positions again now, which is helpful. Um, I'd like to see uh, maybe a couple of changes because I do think tiredness is an issue and we need to wrap certain players up in cotton wool. Um, I think Acer was absolutely uh, outstanding yesterday. And if we can give him a breather, even for 45 minutes, we should try and do that. Bearing in mind, we've got another game on Saturday straight after. There's, there's no let up. Um, but if we're going to make a, a, a strong statement for the rest of the season, it's absolutely the sort of game we've got to win. And I think uh, all Gary Johnson needed was was one result to get the season back on track. And I think hopefully uh, we got that on Saturday, uh, yesterday against Kings Lynn and he'll be looking to build on that and be uh, trying to show uh, one or two people who've written him off that he's still the best manager in the league. 
hundred yep. percent. Yeah, that's both of us. Um, both of us agreeing with that. I think that's absolutely right. Um, has anybody got any other business? Because I think I've got one. I don't, but I would like to hear what you've got to say. Have you seen the lineup for this uh, Legends of the Buckle era thing? No, I'm, I'm aware of it. It's Helen Chamberlain, Martin Gritton, Wayne Carlyle, Tim Sills. Kevin Nicholson and somebody else whose name escapes me. And Alex Rowe. Alex Rowe, thank you. Yeah, the, the old chairman. And they're all getting together for a chat. It's being advertised by this Twitter. I don't know who does it from the Talking Talky Twitter, but it's being advertised by them. I don't think it's anything to do with us. It's certainly, I, I haven't heard of it. If it is, maybe that's what it is. I just haven't been invited. And the um, uh, April the 9th, it is. And I reckon it looks bloody good value at a tenner. I don't know about you. Well, I mean, you're talking to a group of uh, professionals and uh, chairmen who were part of arguably the greatest and most successful <laughs> few years as uh, in modern Talking United history. So, yeah, and it's uh, and it's all in the name of charity as well. So it's not to be yeah, sniffed and at. The, the money goes to a dog's home and children in need and stuff. So, yeah. Pass. I don't know. I bought my ticket straight away. As soon as I saw that um, that Helen Chamberlain was involved, I thought, well, if, if that's who the host is, who the hell are the guests going to be? So I'm going to get so that. How much, how much did it cost, sorry? Tenner. Tenner? Ten quid. That's all it is. Tenner? Ten quid. Wow. Like three hours entertainment, which is cheaper and longer than you get a plane more. And for other <laughs> activities. Uh, and it's... Um... It's a Friday night. I can safely say I'd probably be spending about 20, 30 quid in the pub on a Friday night usually. So £10 and a uh, and a four pack from Tesco's is probably uh, pretty good value of money to see uh, some of the heroes on screen. Unreal. Four pack of beer. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what's coming for, for me. I'm going to have a thoroughly nice time watching it. Um, I, I have seen there's been some twitter naughtiness i don't know if anyone else has spotted it but i did because i've got an enormous brain um i think there are more guests to come and i'll tell you why i think there are more guests to come go and have a look once you finish listening to this podcast go and have a look at the talking talky uh tweets from your at talking talky go and have a look at their tweets from yesterday uh they seemed a bit weird to me and i'm always wary of tweets that seem a bit weird have a proper look at them and see if you can work out who i think is going to be their next announcement their next guest um it's it like, made me like, laugh it's like mensa this isn't it bloody hell it is a little bit yeah i mean it's not exactly alan turing level code breaking but i mean if you if you just look at them for long enough eventually a name will pop out i suspect and I've got a feeling you do not want to miss this. Uh, yeah, I would I would say the same. This probably sounds a little bit like we like we know what's going on. I haven't got a bloody clue what's going on from day to day in my own life, let alone elsewhere. But yeah, I'm um I'm with you. I I've just got the the feeling that they aren't done yet. Yeah, no, I think there's uh I mean look everyone from that squad in their own right is a bit of a hero to many but there's a couple more people from that squad who uh yeah probably wouldn't want to miss out on their chance to uh have a bit of fun with the other guests 
absolutely right and with that i'm out of any other business yeah likewise get get your ticket basically you you really don't want to miss out on this great evening q a what what's yeah. not to love I, I agree. I think the only business we need to talk about is that event, to be honest, and keep looking on Facebook. There's a bloke on it who keeps uh, updating it every couple of days. Never met him in my life, but, you know, uh, everyone's just trying to spread the word and uh, bring along a friend. Oh, bring along a friend who remembers that. Maybe they'll get Bateson back. How good would that be? <laughs> Uh, That'd be brilliant. Every ticket comes with a 10% discount on your next window order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this event proudly sponsored by uh, Lorna Windows. Yeah, actually, we should probably mention the event is. Um, I saw a tweet the other day. The event now is proudly sponsored by the guys over at MB Insolvency. Um, I, I know Mark. I did a, a separate um, piece of sponsorship with him a couple of years ago. Thoroughly nice guy. Absolutely loves Torquay, um, gives very freely of his time and his money. So if you've been badly affected by the coronavirus problems and your business is going under, at least get the bad news from somebody who gives money to charity. Mark Bowen at MB Insolvency, look them up. Uh, I'm sure they're enormously competent at everything else. Yeah, big thank you to Mark. Yeah, thank you very much. Perfect. Well... I think that's everything. Um, keep an eye out, like we say, on the Talking Talky Twitter account for any news and updates on the event. And of course, for podcasts, which is first and foremost what we are here for. Um, hopefully we beat Solihull on uh, Tuesday. So it's uh, thank you from me. Thank you from Ben. Thank you. And thank you to Matt Partman as well. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And we will uh, yeah, speak to you soon.